0: from the duck south studios in oxford mississippi we're mass communicating it's a bold strategy cotton let's see if it pays off for them <laughs> this is the end of the line podcast powered by ducksouth.com i gave it a uh, a 10 a 10 sweep the leg you have a
1: problem with that is-
0: and now Here's your host, Rocky LaFleur.
1: I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice.
0: Also starring, Josh Webb, Jake LaTondres, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! welcome to the end of the line podcast i'm rocky the floor in the duck's house studios in oxford mississippi where are you randy minnesota michigan
2: yeah i'm in michigan right now i'm i'm sitting out in front of the shop of uh ball shot shell brandish rocky and i Sareki says it i got that southern twang to it uh Spent the night with him last night we're we're having a meet today I'm on my way back I'm finished to go pick up a lab uh next door and uh hopefully uh I got one more stop on the way home and I will spend the night in my bed uh the next time i sleep and i'm I'll be glad to be home
0: really it, it's, You're been, gonna it's drive been all big, the way tonight I twelve hours
2: ma'am I'll probably call you back talk your head off and not you somebody else and uh Man, between that and Waffle House and Love's Truck Stop Coffee, I yeah, twelve hours is nothing. Hop, and a jump, and um, I, I I can make further than that. You know, I'm just running a tad behind this morning, but <clears throat> it's another day at the office.
0: Wow, that is a long ride. But you know, 60, the last time you made that trip, miles.
2: Sixty-five hundred ninety-six miles so
0: far. Go ahead. I think about about two thirty in the morning. You texted me last year when you were on your way back from Canada. You you were <laughs> passing down fifty five. Yeah, I may
2: have. I don't think it'll be that long. It might be that long night. I may I may I, I plan on getting home uh, probably probably uh, probably around one o'clock this morning. When I, if I if I had to guess, about one o'clock. And um, and it's funny because you know once once you once that that magnetic pull. It's one thing when you head somewhere and you got time to kill, but the closer you get to home, man, the heavier my foot gets, you know, and the, and 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 the faster everything starts going by on the side. I mean, there's no stopping now. That momentum's coming. It's time to get home. And uh, but anyway, yeah, it's nothing but another day in paradise, just driving. But man, what an incredible, what an incredible month it's been. Uh, and, and it's like I look back uh hunting in Michigan about this time a month ago. And it's like looking back two years ago or five years ago. It's hard to remember, and 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 then you know Minnesota with Corey Löffler, and 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 then Saskatchewan and Alberta, and back to Saskatchewan bouncing around, freelancing, and then dropping down to North Dakota, and and you know, especially since you've given me this opportunity to meet with people and talk, you know, I've always heard these stories. I, I it, it's just it's it's what I really love about what I do. Is the people and their stories and just sitting around in the truck while you're scouting and the driving and, and sitting in the blind between volleys and or, or plucking birds and talking, you know, just the, the, the people part is so. But, but having the opportunity, the platform to, re, to record these discussions or parts of these discussions now has just, it's just given it a, I don't know, a fresh intensity. And, and I, and I, I it, it's kind of given, put me on a mission. And, uh, cause all these duck hunters, you don't have to be, uh, the world's greatest duck hunter. I mean, just everybody, Jake said it a million times, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a perspective. Duck hunting is not one size fits all. You no, know, <clears throat> up here in this northern tier, hunting those big Canada geese is, is a religion. And back home, we don't have that. You know, yeah, we shoot Canada geese, but it's not the same. And, 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 and so, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm really having a
0: good time doing
2: this. I really, I really, truly am having a good time doing this.
0: Well, I think I was going to say, and I wasn't going to interrupt you, but last year on your way back from Canada, correct me if I'm wrong, about St. Louis is where you stopped to get a soda, and <laughs> yeah. you put the window, you, you put the window down from St. Louis to Memphis to keep you awake. Do you remember that?
2: I remember I was going to stop, I stopped at a, I had not eaten, and I was going to stop somewhere around St. Louis and spend the night, I was wore out, and I, well, there was a Waffle House right next to where I was going to stay, so I decided to go in and get me a, a standard, my standard Waffle House order, which is just three egg omelet, jalapenos, bacon, no cheese, the Waffle House doesn't have real cheese, y'all. And uh and three eggs over easy on top of it. Mash it up, eat it, you know, like Popeye and spinach I guess because I ate that and drank a cup of coffee and perked up a little bit and I asked for another cup of coffee and buddy I hammered down all the way home. And uh had thought I was gonna spend the night and coming the next day, but it just it was like Popeye and Spinach. I ate my ate my ate my three egg omelet, three eggs over easy,
0: and I was ready to roll. Oh uh, anyway. All right, so Ramsey the- one of the last conversations that you had before Nick Marcy's, which will be coming up soon, the outfitter that you hunted with there in North Dakota, you, you spent some time with Brian Mason. And Brian uh, Mason does a lot of sink box hunting, correct?
2: Yep. Yeah, you know, for uh, about the last 10 or 11 years, we sent a few people over to hunt with Brian. Uh, I, don't, I don't even remember how Brian and I got in touch. I don't remember how, how we got in touch, but our, our paths crossed when we got in touch. <clears throat> and remember, I'm an experienced hunter, and sink box hunting was prohibited during the Migratory Bird Treaty Act days, back when all these other laws came into place, but not in Canada, not in Nova Scotia. I mean, it, it is uh, deeply rooted in that part of the world. And kind of like hunting in a pit blind, except that pit blind is floating. In 30 or 40 feet of water, with waves and action, and you're shooting sea ducks, and and it's a very, very, uh, to me, it's just one of them bucket list experiences. If you're if you're going to try to do everything in duck hunting, you really need to go shoot some birds out of sink boxes. And uh, Brian and his wife Mary have this little hunt up in Nova Scotia, just outside of Halifax. And <clears throat> I went up and hunted with him. And so for the last 10 or 11 years, I've sent clients. I've talked to clients about hunting up there with Brian and Brian and I stayed in touch and, and of course he and he and I and his wife talked you know quite a bit and <clears throat> and you know what struck me though? I was I was I was running around through western Canada shooting these uh geese and this northern tier stuff out in western Canada hunting the fields and doing things. And Brian's old school buddy. Brian Brian he does have a smartphone but he don't play on social media. He doesn't do all that kind of stuff. He just cuts from a different you know different cut of cut of cloth. And uh but his wife does. And I got I had a uh had an appointment, I had a uh somebody I was gonna hunt with, gonna do a little freelance, and their plans changed, so I was kinda left with a gap in my calendar and I I wanted to kinda hang back because I wanted to join Dirty Bird Outfitters and Nick Marcy's up there for that for their opener in North Dakota. It's always a lot of fun. And I didn't know what I was gonna do and just timeliness, uh Mary hit me with a with an inbox and said, "Hey, Brian's gonna be out there hunting, y'all to give him a shout or whatever, and so I reached out to Brian he said, Oh yeah, come on up, you know and it was him and three of his buddies and they've been hunting out in Western Canada for twenty years freelance hunting they they they've got a a hotel they've been hunting at it's a great little hotel they've got they store all their decoys out in the shop, and you know it's just it's just It's like family, you know, they they've been out there for so long, but they
1: target
2: specifically snow geese. And you know, Rocky, field hunting for snow geese is as polar opposite from sink box hunting as, as anything. I mean, it just it doesn't get any more opposite than that. And so for me, I went to go see my buddy Brian, but you know like and we may even talk about this in our recording have you ever known somebody like at work or at church or the office or something, and you just got them kind of hung on this peg? They're the quiet one, or uh, they're just this person, right? They're they're whatever their peg you got them hung on. But then you bump into them at a restaurant, or you see them at a party, and all of a sudden you see them in a new light. You you know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. Exactly. I know. not exactly known, you mean. having known Brian. Because there's nothing easy about putting together a sink box hunt. It takes work. It takes know-how. It takes knowing those birds and, and all kinds of little things that go into safely orchestrating, putting a man in 30 foot of water, keeping him safe, and tending the hunt. And all, it, A lot goes into play for this. And to all of a sudden flip over to the other side of the spectrum to go from due west to due east, or really vice versa, from east to west, and see him pour that kind of intensity into shooting Whitey. And it was, Rocky, it, it was, you know what I do for a living. Well, all of a sudden, the last week I'm up here, I'm hunting with, um, I'm freelance hunting with friends, and it was it was wonderful. It was so wonderful to get back to the roots. Why we really do this, and I've got to share this about these four Canadians I hunted with. Have you noticed that a lot of the, a lot of the, it comes up just kind of organically. Have you noticed a lot of the people we've met with and talked to veer off into this numbers game? this limit concept, this numbers thing, this this mindset that it that is in a lot of ways perverting hunting today. Um and when you snow goose hunt, you do you you're all in. There don't have measures. Sometimes, you know, you got the hottest feed, you've got the best plan, you get there early, you lay everything out perfectly and the wind doesn't blow. Or there's some little wrinkle. And it's awesome. Cause I hunted with them for three days and it was all awesome. I mean, the birds were decoying. I was shooting a two and three quarter inch bit copper plated bismuth number five. When's the last time anybody went and whooped some honey on snow geese with, with that? That means the birds were decoying. But it wasn't a limit. But it was a bunch of birds. It was awesome. Awesome. Three, three of the best days I've ever snow geese hunted. And but here this this is what I'm trying to get at. After the hunt, these guys will I just noticed they take snapshots with their phone of me uh putting my stuff away in my bag or a buddy picking up a decor doing this and I and I suggested we we put the geese out. Ah we don't need that. We we, we don't need it. And then we'd go back to camp. We'd clean them and do everything. they go eat breakfast and go scouting that afternoon. Second day, a little bit better. Hey, we want to holy bird, take a picture. No, my. my we don't need that. Do you understand how, how different that is from hunting with nearly 100% of everybody I've hunted with or seen in social media? They're not out there to take pictures. They're snow goose hunters. They're out there to hunt and have a great time and laugh and, 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 and play the game. And on the last day, Rocky, we were about three and a half miles from where a whole lot of geese were roosted. And we put those birds to bed and it was a half a section of white. And we knew the wind was going to blow. The front was coming in. Everything, the stars were aligning. It was epic. It was epic. You could look out three and a half miles through binoculars and see those birds coming up off the roost. In stages, step, after wave, after wave, after wave, coming your way. And we were on the one side of the section and those birds would get over the other side of the section, coming to us. They looked like escalator stairs, wave after wave, starting to descend in the field, wave after wave. And they'd come in, and we'd volley. And they'd come in, and we'd volley. And they'd come in, and we'd volley. And they'd, come and we'd volley. And they'd come in, and we'd volley. It was just, you know, you go, you go, snow goose, hunting. You just got to accept it, man. Every day's not like that. No matter what you do, you play the game. You play the game right. Brian knows the game. Sometimes the geese don't get the memo, blah, blah, blah. It's honey. That day they did. That was that day. And they did it. And on that day, I said, guys, I'd really like to have a picture with my new family. And they, they, they acquiesced, and we took a picture. Just a snapshot. Nothing fancy. Just a picture, because it was one of those days. And I just wanted to share that to me. That kind of person. It is not out there to take pictures and to prop up egos. It's all about the game. It's all about the friends. You know, it's all about you know all the all the stories that I wish I'd recorded and could hear of my grandfather or my uncle talking about hunting with my grandfather. All those years and all those stories, Rocky. A whole lifetime of hunting and. One time, my grandfather decided he needed to take all those pictures out of a shoebox and put them in a photo album. And his whole, his whole hunting life is confined between the covers of about a 15 or 20 page magnetic photo album. All his hunting and fishing is right there in just a few dozen photos. All that hunting they did, I never heard him talk about numbers. I never heard him talk about numbers, Rocky. They only talk about the good times and the people and breaking through the ice and hat floaters and they, they never talked about numbers. And at the end of that generation's life, my granddaddy, you know, my mentor, my upbringing is that they, it, it, was just a few pictures, and but it was enough because that's why they were there. And so that, that's what I, that's what I remember most about hunting with Brian. And uh, if Brian's listening, he knows I'm going to be there. I, I thought, oh, yeah, if I got to be here a month. Yeah, y'all going to pull up, and I'm going to be writing on you. How y'all doing? I'm going to be like Cousin Eddie at Christmas. I'm just showing up. I done found my new family. I adopted y'all. They're, they're great people. I've never had so much fun, Rocky. And I'll tell you something else personally that, that just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I had to articulate this, just something, because I was hunting with friends. And we were self hunting, and you know what I do for a living. And we would go and clean the birds, because in Canada, if you're Canadian, you can go to the meat processor, and at the meat processor, you can process the birds, and they can convert them into sausage, smoke sticks, and because they're Canadian, not crossing an international border, they can take those birds home as sausage and smack sticks, and they can give them out to farmers, and they can eat them and whatever. Can't bring the birds back processed to the United States. But they could. And after we got that all sorted out, we would go eat breakfast. And this town we were in, practically every hotel and restaurant, it seemed like everyone is staked out by another outfitter. There's all these white trailers with logos, you know. Very heavily hunted area. You kind of heard me and me and uh, Ira talking about that last week, about all the knocks on the door. These people are getting, you know, getting a little bothered by it. But anyway, but hunting with my friends, sitting at the table, I wasn't in my business. You see, I was, I was hunting with friends. And it, and it just, it kind of struck me one day, about the third morning, that as hunters were coming in, filing in through the doors, I was kind of like on the outside of what I do, looking in, and that that was kind of interesting for me too. I, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't explain it, but it, it, it kind of it made me. It gave me an awareness about what I do and who I am and how I might be perceived and how my clients might be perceived. It was just a perspective that I'd not really considered. You know, the guys coming in, high fiving, oh ba ba chest bumps coming in and dancing down the aisle, going to the booth. And the guy's kinda of coming in moping. And you could reconcile it with the social media post of of the logo out front. You could put two and two together while some guys were on cloud nine some guys weren't quite there. It was just I don't know, it was just a very instant trip, but but I felt like brian you know because he was such a full spectrum because i I believe that a nova scotia sink box hunt is such a bucket list experience to step back in time past the, the migratory bird treaty act and hunt like those guys did and he he touched a little bit on some stories about the old timers how he grew up uh i know that that uh, at one time in high school, he had told me uh, he and his buddy were out on one of them islands and found an old sink box and somehow drug it back to the house and he kind of measured and, and modeled after it and then started started customizing it to make it deeper, make it better, make it ride higher, make it safer, you know. And uh, but but it, it, it's it's in his blood, man. He's Nova Scotian, and, and so it, it, it's it's kind of who he is. And I thought that'd be a great conversation, but then you know, but to hear him, you know, to hear him jump back and start talking about the parallels between those opposite worlds of snow goose hunting and sink box hunting, I, I thought it made for a great conversation. I really did. I, I you know, and I, I just enjoyed this guy. Always have. He's always just a. Anytime you get around uh, the right sea duck captain, the right kind of guy, you understand. When you're you're fooling around in deep water hunting those kind of birds, Rocky. You're you're putting your life in that man's hands. It's a demeanor, right? He, he he's soft spoken. He's serious. He's a thinker. Oh, he's fun to be around, and he is an ever more a good shot. Don't get me wrong. He's all that. But but it's just his personality that that is always I've I've always uh, respected. You know, and so yeah, I
0: thought it made for a great conversation. Well, we need to, I, I'll say this, I hadn't heard, but part of it, I've listened to, it's about a 31-minute conversation. I think I've listened to about 16 minutes of it, and man, it's really, really good. All of them have been good, though, Ramsey. It, it, when you're able to sit down face-to-face, you're able to read body language, and you've already spent time, probably that that day, before you record an interview, you're, you're able to go into a lot more depth with the people that you're yeah. interviewing. Yeah. So,
2: but you know, it, it, it's a, you're, you're right, because, you know, when Brian and I are talking, there's two duck hunters sitting in a hotel room, you know, and, 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 and or, or two duck hunters, another conversation, two duck hunters sitting in a hotel, or two duck hunters sitting on a back patio, or two duck hunters sitting in a hunt lodge, or two duck hunters sitting around the dinner table. You know, and and it's and it's just uh, I love those conversations, and I love uh like Jake says, everybody's got a story, and and I love that part of it. You know, and it, it's what it's what I love so much about these trips. It opens my horizons, it opens my mind, it makes me a better hunter, it makes me a better person to share times and share stories with people. And and I hope uh, I hope the guys listening are, are getting something out of it. I'm I'm raw at this. I'm trying, you know, but I hope, I hope guys are enjoying it. And, and I, I, I would tell anybody, you know, if you, if you know anybody or you got a topic or a story, uh, and I, I've got a whole lot of them topped up in my, in my iPhone. I want to, I want to talk to, but I'm always looking for another, you know, and, um and, and I, I would hope that, that anybody listening, uh, you know, hey, there's a team effort, you know, by all means, steer, steer it somewhere and we'll, We'll try to go and talk about it too. You know, cause it's all, you know, it's such, so, man, the world is so much bigger than our backyard. And when you start talking duck hunting, it's not one size fits all. It is much, much bigger than that. The different cultures, the different regions, the different call styles, the different hunting techniques, the different species. It's all very, very different. And, and, and that's what I, I, I really love about it. I just love that, and and I and I just want to I just want to help share that story, the full story of duck hunting, with, with anybody that cares to hear it.
0: Well, Ramsey, like I said, I've heard about sixteen minutes out of the thirty-one, and it's it's pretty doggone good. We need to get to that interview now.
2: This is Ramsey Russell, GetDucks.com. It's duck season somewhere. It's late September, and I'm in Saskatchewan chasing snow geese with a longtime friend, Brian Mason. Have y'all, ever, have y'all ever known somebody, like maybe a coworker, and you've known them a long time, and you see them at work every day. Maybe they're the shy one, or maybe they're the nosy one, or maybe, you know, you got them hung on a peg. They're just somebody you've known a long time. And then you go to a Christmas party and you see him dancing on the table with a lampshade on their head. And and you realize there's more to this guy than than you've known a long time. Well, that that's kind of where I'm at today. I've, I've been chasing uh, a lot of birds up here in the northern tier. And I was invited to come uh, here to Saskatchewan and join my friend Brian Mason. He and his wife Mary own Golden Eye Guide Service in Nova Scotia. I don't know for how long, but I'm going to say for about 10 years. We've been referring our guests to them to experience genuine, bona fide Nova Scotia sink box duck hunting. So even though we're out there shooting snow geese right now in Saskatchewan, that's that's not the topic of the day. I I really uh, wanted to take advantage of the opportunity of spending some time with Brian to share with y'all the experience of old school, down and dirty sink box hunting. Brian, how are you? Good sir, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, uh, you really are kind of that guy with a lampshade, you know, out there today. Because I, I mean, you know, when I when I met you in Nova Scotia, that was like a Canada unto itself. We're out here and just as far as the human eye can see, there's barley fields and pea fields and snow geese and all this kind of stuff. And Nova Scotia's not like that. I mean, it's evergreen trees and rocky shores and deep bays and seafood. If you want seafood here, you eat some kind of rubber shrimp from Thailand and you're part of the world. There's lobster and, and all that good stuff. And, uh, but I've really enjoyed these last few days. And what, to, to kick things off, tell, tell me what sink box hunting is.
1: Explain sink box hunting. Sink box hunting is an old tradition, came from the market hunting days, uh, back, well, probably in 1800s and they uh, had this little box made out of boards back then because there was no plywood around. And they put a heavy weight on the bottom of it, weighted it down so it was pretty much level with the water. And then they put their decoys out right around it. And then they kind of developed it from there. That They put wings on it to kind of stop the wind chops from getting too wet and whatnot. But in the old days, if you got a real heavy wind come up, you were going for a swim. <laughs> so when I started it, they uh, said, well, I can't take my clients out there and have them go for a swim, especially in the North Atlantic in December. And uh, so I put a platform around it, filled it full of styrofoam, and we kind of went from there. We went from the small ones. And back in the olden days, you set in the thing cross-legged. It wasn't much more than maybe two and a half feet high, maybe... Close to three feet, but no more than that. And uh, so you were pretty cramped in there. And But now, the ones that I use, I've built them. There's a two man one that we use, a one man one. And uh, you can sit down on a nice level seat. And pretty much the only thing sticking above the water is maybe four inches of the float that's around the box and your head if you set up straight. I guess. Oh, and, uh, that's it, it's, it's
2: a it's a deadly way of hunting. Imagine guys, imagine imagine standing in the water, uh, surrounded by you know protective walls, kind of like a sunken bathtub. I don't how deep was the water we hunted in that day. Thirty feet. Thirty feet. Thirty feet. And you're not, you don't know, no, you're hunting uh, scoters and long tails and eiders and and different species of birds that don't come in from way up high and come down. They fly about a foot or two off the water, so you're sitting, looking, as you're seated in that sink box. You're looking right over the chop, and you're looking for birds coming in, and they're not coming in little; they're coming in fast. And uh, but but you're you're literally immersed in the bay with these birds. Uh, Brian, how long have you been doing sink box hunts?
1: Sink box hunting. I've been hunting off and on since I was a teenager. But I built my own when I became a professional guide, a licensed right. guide, back in about 18, 1988. But that it's not just started. a it, so it's
2: not just a guide thing though. I mean, it, it, like I know uh, meeting with these Nova Scotians we're hunting with right now, your buddies, they sink box hunt. Just they grew up sink box hunting.
1: Yeah, some of them grew up sink box hunting. It's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. It's uh, it's not a big thing anymore because it's a lot of work to put one of these out. And so a lot of guys just want to go out for a few hours in the morning and shoot some birds and then go home. These boxes here, I, I set some of them out. They're out there for weeks at a time. And then we have some uh, portable ones, smaller ones that we use that we can put out, out, of, out of a boat and uh, put them out there for two or three hours. But you've got to put a lot of steel in the bottom of them. We put a lot of steel balls and pieces of steel plate to sink them down, to get them down to that water level. Well that was a crazy
2: thing I remember when I when I showed up years ago to hunt with you and Pete, y'all had y'all had drug it out into a like a bottleneck coming into that bay. All the birds were gonna run traffic through there and sunk it in what you tell me was about thirty foot of water. It wasn't calm water to me, it was not calm water, it, it was North Atlantic type chop and I was thinking to step off into, you know, water that come up to my eyeballs, you know what as, as I'm sitting in the bottom of this thing looking up. And you started throwing these big steel balls into it. You looked at me and said, How much, how much do you weigh? And you started trying to ballast it with, uh, these big chunks of steel and a couple of buckets of water, which it just seems so counterintuitive to me. i I'm thinking, wait a minute, I want this thing, I want this thing to ride as high as it can. I don't, I don't want to get 30 foot of water. We just throw a weight in there plus me. Yeah. But, but it's, it's important. It's a technique.
1: Oh, it's a technique. Yeah. We got to get them right for, for how much weight of the person we're putting in. Like there's two guys that's, Roughly around four hundred pounds, and we'll we'll judge that and put the correct amount of weight into it that we can get them down as low as possible because that's what it's all about getting out of sight of the birds and then we put some decoys real close to you, some on top of the box now on these bigger boxes that we're using today, and uh yeah, it's a real technique, like i said they they're coming in there, and they're only about three to four feet off the water, and uh those birds are coming in fast and uh you, very fast, very fast, especially the long tails. Very, especially long tails the long tails. Very fast, and, and and
2: you know if you're not accustomed to doing it, they they can sneak up on you quick. Because to me, uh, at a distance, they tended to, you know, it was cloudy. They were grayish looking, and they tended to to blend in with the dark little freckles of the water as it was it was waving. To me, they blended in perfectly. And sometimes they were just right on top of me doing Mach three yep. before I realized there was a duck coming in. Yeah, that's
1: right. They just they just they're right there before you know they're there and you we try to keep the decoys 20 yards away because most of them will not decoy like a mallard does or a black duck or a Canada goose or anything like that they come in and they'll hit the edge of the decoys and just flip off and maybe maybe land 100 yards away from it but that's uh that's why we keep the decoys close so it's a, a good shot and you'll get about 10 to 20 percent of them that will actually come in and light land right in the decoys did
2: did you tell me one time when i was up there that y'all had you and a buddy maybe when you were teenagers or when y'all were younger had been kind of exploring around the bay and found an old like one of the old timers you called him one of the old guys sink boxes
1: yeah that's correct we uh we found one uh a friend of mine found it and called me up and asked me if i wanted it i said no not at the time and uh then he took it to an older fellow and he had uh Fixed it up and uh, fiberglassed it, make it, and he used it for one season. Then I ended up buying it off him, so I still have it. It's up in the storage area of my barn, and it's still there. And like I said, it's only a short box, and uh, but the way they built them, it was quite comfortable. I mean, you sit in there kind of cross-legged, but it was it was fairly comfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only time it wasn't comfortable is was when you're getting water in on you. Yeah, unit, sure. From the wind chop. That's those thing. guys
2: must have been a heck of a shot because, you know, uh, like hunting out of a layout blind like we've been doing here, it, it is, if you've never done it, it's different because you don't have your feet under you. Yeah. You know, you're swinging just from the hip up. But to be sitting cross-legged in chops or rollers or waves yeah. and shooting a bird doing Mach 3, you know, to your
1: right, that, that must
2: have been a heck of a shot. Yeah. They.
1: Uh, and, well, like I said, they were market hunters, too, so they were living with, you know, selling, right.
2: selling those birds. They were Um, were the same species of ducks. You think back then were they were they hunting the same species of ducks then as now? They
1: were. They were Ramsey. They were hunting the same species that we hunt today:
2: scoters, scoters, long-tailed ducks, the
1: long tails, the three different scoters. Yeah, and the eiders, you know, and and they ate them. And they ate them. They ate them. My wife's got recipes that. uh, Yeah, really, you, you would never know if you just tried to bake one. You wouldn't want to walk into the room. You wouldn't want to eat it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but my wife can really do them upright.
2: Like just an example, what what would be one way she would cook one of those ducks? Uh, She does. I've I've, I've eaten her food. She's a very good cook.
1: Yeah, she is. Uh, You marinate these. She'll marinate these things in a bowl and milk. uh, Take the breast meat off and chop it up and put it in buttermilk and let it sit in the fridge for about twenty four hours to forty eight hours, depending on when she's going to have that meal and uh, then she'll do them like in a stir-fry type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, It's uh, very good, served over noodles or rice or even potatoes. It doesn't really matter what you serve them with, and uh, you would never really know that they're a strong-tasting bird.
2: What we're growing up, growing up in Nova Scotia, and I'm thinking about the box type job. what were some of your influences or some of your did your dad hunt did your did the locals in your town hunt out of sink boxes was that kind of the way we did it
1: yeah my uh my grandfather hunted it in the sink box and uh that's where it came down and uh i was always just kind of interested in it as a kid i guess running around you know playing and played in them in the summertime you know they set it in the backyard or wherever they were down in the wharf and uh just got interested in them and when I became a teenager and was able to go hunting. And uh, and that's when I uh, experienced my first one. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty pretty awesome just to hunt it. it. Uh, which I don't get to do a whole lot anymore because I, I'm running clients out of most of the time. Right.
2: Well, that's that's what we all do anymore, it seems like. What what the world thinks of is one thing, but what we actually do is something else entirely different. I totally, get that. Totally. You know, when I came up, um, for me... To, to come up and climb off into a sink box like literally stepping back into history you know and it's the closest thing to going back to those days uh that, that i could have imagined just just the technique the experience uh it's not particularly sexy i mean i you know it, it it's 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 real duck hunting uh even even as relatively mild as the weather was uh i remember getting a few splashes down the down the back collar you know and stuff like that which yeah. was which was fine it was, it was it was just being immersed in it all and uh but i was shocked i remember we were driving up the road to your house one day and i was just watching the lakeside out there and i saw some black ducks and y'all y'all have got a lot of black ducks i can remember the last black duck i saw in the state of mississippi that's it and i can remember the last five black ducks i saw in the state of mississippi and uh um, y'all got a lot of black ducks up there
1: yeah that's uh that's one thing we like to go for is black ducks and uh we, uh, we spend a lot of time chasing them around. They're a pretty wary duck. Uh, they're not like a mallard. mallard we kind of think mallards is being stupid, but uh, I guess they just don't get pounded as much as they do in the southern states. But uh, black ducks are a really nice duck, uh, nice eating duck, and uh, we've got lots of them. Uh, it's it's difficult to hunt them at times because just because of weather conditions. It's... Uh, you know, they will set out there on a nice fine day and just thumb their nose at us and uh, not move at all. And uh, they don't come in in big groups. You might see a group of six or something like that. On occasion, we'll see more. But most of the times, it's one to two ducks. Mm-hmm. One to two ducks. And uh, I don't know why, but that's the way they like to travel. Even though they'll come to the same spot to feed, they'll uh, they'll come in in one and two and... It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and
2: we hunted those by, by ways that were just a little more uh, familiar to everybody. You know, hunting from the shore, hunting from, from uh, rock piles, hunting from different <laughs> ways. They don't decoy into those sink boxes.
1: They don't decoy into the sink boxes. We have shot them out of the sink boxes when uh, we get uh, ice later in the year. Uh, you get an early freeze and the, and the little inch of the bay will freeze up. And for some reason the ducks Will just come out to the open water, deeper water, and they'll kind of pick up little things off the surface of the water. But uh, they don't really feed that much out there. They're mostly in the shallow water, same as a mallard. You know, they're a puddle duck, and uh, they will. You know, we like I said on occasion we will shoot them out of the sink box, but we don't set up for them out of the sink box. It's uh, it would just be a long day looking at the sky, right? If you're
2: that's all, all about those sea
1: ducks and divers. It's all about the sea ducks and divers and the, and the uh, black ducks we hunt uh, in the marshes and, in shallower water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
2: All the, all the movies I've seen and, uh, history channel and all that cool stuff right there, you know, about the Titanic. I, I, I guess, you know, yeah, everybody knows the Titanic sank. Everybody knows there weren't many survivors, yada, yada, yada. Leonardo DiCaprio died, the whole works. but, uh, But you know, it never occurred to me to to ask myself, where did the rescue come from? I'd have said, I guess they came from England. I didn't know where they come from, but I was, I was, was, to me, it was kind of cool to come into Halifax, and we were talking one night at dinner, and and we started talking about it, and he said, well, they're all here. and How how many
1: cemeteries are there regarding the Titanic people? There's at least two that I know of, and there could be more, but not, you know, I I don't, I'm not that big into the Titanic. I knew about it, uh, grew up knowing about it, really, but... uh, yeah, the uh, majority of the people were taken to Halifax, uh, especially the bodies. Especially the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. They, That's where they were. So that would yeah.
2: have been like the uh, Canadian Royal uh, Navy yeah, or?
1: Uh, all odd Fishing boats. Fishing, fishing boats. boats out of Newfoundland. Fishing boats out of Nova Scotia, you know, that were out there fishing. Uh, at that time would be the big commercial fishing boats, but they weren't that big. They were probably only maybe a 60 or 80 foot boat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that would be fishing, you know. And I'm sure I'm sure fishermen out of Gloucester, Massachusetts, picked up bodies. Yeah, you know, because they're all in that, that area,
2: all in that, that tidal flow, whatever. In yeah. yeah,
1: yeah,
2: Isn't that crazy? Just what what a world it is. And, and am I right? Am I am I, am I confused that that the uh, the Acadians, the folks that got pushed down to uh, to Louisiana, they originated in Nova Scotia originally. Yes, they did. They originated in the Annapolis Valley. And what ended mm-hmm. up getting them moved from Nova Scotia to Louisiana? The British. The British. Yeah. Kicking out the French? Kicking out the French. Yeah. yeah. Poor French.
1: Yeah, poor French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that, no, that's, that's what it was. It was uh, during the wars uh, back in the 1700s. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, they figured that that was the best way. And they, uh, a lot of them ended up in Louisiana and places like that. And they flourished. Oh, big time!
2: You know big what? Time. What shocked me, having come to Canada for a, a long time before I went to Nova Scotia. Again, you know the grain fields and the agriculture and the prairie and historical bison references and things of that nature. But how not the same cover type, trees and rocks and shores, but how similar South Louisiana and Nova Scotia really are. I mean, it's it's just it, it's uh. It's right there on the ocean. It's at salt water, the fish and the commercial fish and the crab and the lobster and all. I mean, it's just very, very similar. Very similar. To, to South Louisiana. Yeah,
1: yeah, very similar. Very similar. We did all the same, pretty much all the same things. Well, we lived off the land. Yeah. And, and uh, some of us still do. I, I live off the land as much as possible. Well, Joe, you know? Joe
2: was telling yeah. me this morning that growing up, they never ate beef. They
1: ate. No, we ate wild game. Which would have been deer and moose. Deer, moose, bear. Yeah, and uh, I still eat all the same things. Uh, <laughs> my freezer. If you come to my house, I've got two freezers. My wife got her little beef freezer. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And then I've got the big game freezer. Yeah. And uh, you know, and the only beef we eat was probably we probably eat about maybe ten percent beef, but that's about it. You know, when it comes to our meat supply, it comes out of the it comes out of the woods or out of the air. There, there was
2: something. We came out at a boat ramp one day. We came out. We had launched a boat. We shot some ducks. We came out, and hanging on this net were a lot of fish fillets. You remember that? It was just just like an acre of fish fillets. Yes. And I asked you about it, and you said something to Mary, and and it was a very traditional dish, and y'all cooked. What was that?
1: That was codfish. Codfish.
2: it was was salt cod. It was salt cod, for sure. Oh, yeah. And she cooked it. uh, My gosh, was that a comfort meal. It it was uh, fish and uh, potatoes and cream and... Yeah. I got full as a tick, yeah. and it was delicious. And the next day, I think I drank five gallons of water. Yeah, you're sure,
1: you <laughs> sure did. So sure <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a, yeah. It's a great meal, uh, but it's a traditional meal. I right. Mean, that's that's what they grew up on from the time they landed in North America. You know, that's and that, and actually that's what uh, you know. It all started with the fish. Yeah, that's right. Sending it back to England. Send it back to France. You know. The French and the English, that's what they came for. They came for the fish, and then all of a sudden it was the fur and the lumber, you know. And it just graduated from there. The duck, duck hunting's still
2: big in Nova yeah. Scotia. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Here, Here's something. Uh, I've got a question for you. Getting back to, you know, uh, hanging somebody on a peg, you know this guy this way, and all of a sudden you know him some other way. What... I, I've been all over the world. I've hunted a lot of ducks, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, it's not the bag of tricks. It's not It's not all the gimmicks. It's not the latest, greatest. It's not this or that. To me, whether you're hunting a mallard or an eider or a red-crested poacher, there's so much similarity that that really, you know, one of the best start and wind-ups is the fundamentals, just the bare-bone fundamentals. How would you because it's such a different world, sink box hunting versus snow geese. Because guys, look, let me let me just say this real quick. Brian and his buddies have been coming out to Saskatchewan for twenty years, specifically targeting white. Uh, yeah, woe be unto the Canada goose or the mallard that, that comes into the white spray, But these guys are snow goose purists, and uh, getting them on the deck is, is just their game. But but Brian, I just I was curious today as you were uh, executing the plan and getting the lines laid out, getting us lined out on what to do to, to his plan. What what do you observe as just common fundamentals uh, between what you do out of a sink box and what you do out here in the western prairie?
1: The fundamentals are pretty much the same thing. You, you scope the birds, you see what they're doing, and then you do what they do. That's right. You just put them down the same way, you put the decoys down the same way, I've I've been with guys that hunted and uh, we've gone out to hunt black ducks and we've got fifty decoys. Out. Most times I hunt, even with my clients, I hunt with a half a dozen decoys, mm. maybe twelve. Because that's what you see because the fox do. That's what the fox does. So that's what you do. Right. right. And uh, it's the same with the snow geese. Same thing. It's just that 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 very simple thing.
2: They, you know, if you'll if you if you'll get out there and scout and get to know the resource you're hunting, they're going to draw the lines. All you have to do is color
1: in between them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And one thing that I can sca- say about scouting is a lot of guys don't do. A lot of guys scope, but what they don't do is they don't look in three different or four different directions at those birds to see exactly wh- what they're doing. Where they're you know, coming, where yeah, they're going, why yeah, they're there. Exactly. Yeah. If they're on the ground or in a pond, why are they in that corner of the pond? Is it because of the wind, or is it because of feed, or you know what? What is it that that they like about that corner of the pond? Why aren't they all over the pond? You know. Right. So you look at it and you look at what's there and you just duplicate it. I you see know, it. It's just that. That's just that simple.
2: Now, here here's a good topic, last topic of the discussion, because uh, I found this very interesting. Yesterday at lunch, uh, we, got, we got to talking about this. You're an outfitter, you as a hunter, me doing what I do, me as a hunter. And we're up here in Saskatchewan, and uh, there's an outfitter in every single hotel. There's white trailers with, with different logos running up every highway, scouting all these fields. Uh, scouts running every which way. It, 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 it's kind of crazy. And this has been a real common thing, uh, for the last several weeks. Uh, Minnesota, Michigan, Saskatchewan, Alberta, back to Saskatchewan, now talking to my Nova Scotia outfitter. And, and it's, it's this concept of quote, limit, unquote, you know? And one thing I've really, really enjoyed about the last couple of days hunting with y'all. Is that we're just out there having a good time. The, the the number one agenda, make a good game plan based on our scout, and then
1: have a good time. Yeah, you know,
2: and and it, and it's it's like,
1: and we're 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 killing birds. Yeah, we're killing birds, and and that's that's what it's all about, to me anyway. And I've turned down clients when I first started. I've turned down clients if he even mentions how many times I'm going to kill my limit. I'll say, well, I can't guarantee you that. So maybe you better phone somebody else. Yeah. And I've done it and we kill limits. We do kill limits, but we don't kill limits every day. No. And I had an old guy with me for years, he came with me for years, and he said, You can't produce birds. He said, no. You just gotta fool them. Yeah. You know? So No, let's just do it. Kind of it and you know, if we shoot twenty birds, even though our we got a five five men out here today, if we shoot twenty birds, it's still a good day. Because it's what we did. That's right. Play, it's how you play the of those game. Twenty birds. That's right. I, I don't care whether you full a hundred. You can have that much fun too. But it's it's about playing the game. I agree. It you is.
2: know, it, it's uh, you made a comment yesterday that the hunters we'd sent out there to you to hunt for these sink box hunts, they'd all been happy. They hunt we one day, they're happy. And and to which I said, I've never had a client come back and describe numbers they, they were happy but I, I never asked how many birds they kill they never said how many birds they kill they just had a great time and because it's an experience hunt nova scotia is different than say uh i guess the mindset for going to canada the mindset for going to mexico the mindset for going to argentina it's an experience hunt
1: it, yeah it is it, it's it's totally different you'll never find well, maybe somewhere else. I mean, Quebec does... Uh, I think there's an fitter in Quebec. There's a, a sink box in it, But it's going to be the same experience that I give you. It's it's just uh, something, I don't know, you just can't grasp until you do it. And then you understand it. Right. right? But, uh, yeah, it's not about numbers. And, and like you said, people don't ask about numbers. Most people don't ask about numbers that no. come with me. No. It's... it's, it's They they don't because they're there they're
2: there for a very specific experience you know and there's so many facets that the way they hunt in the Midwest versus Mississippi versus Louisiana versus Nova Scotia versus Western Canada I mean you could spend the rest of your life chasing the different call techniques and blind techniques and hiding techniques and hunting styles and to me every every everyone's important it's just another page in this big beautiful book of duck hunting yeah you know and and I, I just sitting there at the restaurant, you see some guys coming in jubilant and you know, walking five foot in their in their boots and you see some guys coming in or moping or dragging their feet or something. So you know they then but you don't know how did they not fire a shot or did they just not get their limit. Yeah. You know and it just blows my mind. You know it's a six duck limit. And if, if you come up too short, big deal. It's two ducks. Yeah. Did you have fun? Did you play a good game?
1: Yeah.
2: You know, and more importantly, did you learn something? Did you make yourself a better duck hunter? Did I've just had, i am just, long story short, I just enjoy doing what we've been doing. And I, and I wish I could encourage people just to let go of the ego and go out yeah. and play the game.
1: Yep, yeah, play the game, because that's what it's all about. It's all about fooling that bird. Now, it, it's like fooling a big buck. If you fool him, I, I've deer hunted for all my life since I was able to. And if I fool that big buck, even if I don't get a good shot, cause I do hunt with a bow, even if I don't get a good shot at him and he gets away, I fooled him. That's I found right. him in my zone and I could have killed him. That's exactly and, yeah, right. But it's an enjoyable thing. And just, just play the game with those ducks and you'll end up having an experience that you've never had before in your life. To,
2: to the average guy that might be listening that has grown up hunting in waist deep water in Mississippi or, uh, Something like that. What would you tell him about coming to sink box hunt instead of what to expect in terms of preparedness or what what's going to be just real different? Just cause you've talked. I know you've dealt with thousands of hunters uh, over the last two or three decades. You've done this. What do you see being the? You know what I'm saying? What are you going to fish for? What, what's going to surprise them? What do they need to really maybe pack in their ditty bag that they don't have normally?
1: Lots of good dry clothes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. You, uh, you pack some good rain gear and you'll enjoy yourself.
2: (laughs) All right. Yeah. That, that, y'all hear that? Pack your, pack your rain gear, guys. Hey, Brian, thank you very much. Everybody. Thank y'all for listening. Uh, we keep these stories going, uh, at Ramsey, Ramsey Russell, get ducks, Instagram storylines. Uh, check out the great hunts we've been having up here in Canada with Brian, Nova Scotia sink box hunting. It's really not duck season somewhere until you've been everywhere. And I really think, just for sheer experience, everybody should add that to their bucket list.
0: That was a heck of an interview, Ramsey. I, I appreciate you taking the time after that hunt was over with to sit down with Brian. Yep, I'm, I'm glad you
2: all enjoyed it, Rocky. It's, it's uh, he's a good dude, man. He is. He is such a good guy. And, and I would tell anybody if you want to go sink box hunt, call him. Call me. Just go. It, it's it's such a beautiful and unique part of Canada. And and he is such a great tour guide. I mean, you know, what I'm saying not really a tour guide, but but it, it it's just uh it's a beautiful part of the world. When we think Canada, we think barley fields and golden fields of barley and out to the horizon. And you go over there to Nova Scotia, and it's totally different. You know, what I'm saying, and, and but it, but it's a it, it's like stepping back in time. And uh he and his wife Mary will take good care of you, no doubt.
0: Hey, Ramsey, real quick before I let you go. What's on the horizon? I know that you've sat down with at this point. You've sat down with Nick Marcy's, and you've also sat down with uh, Brandon they there at Boss Ammo. Um, yep. What yep. What's on the horizon? With, past
2: that? Uh, I've met with both those guys. The next couple of guys I, I want to meet with. I'm I'm, I'm going to meet with. Uh, I'm going to meet with Jeff Foles. Y'all heard a lot about Jeff Foles' story, but I want to sit down with Jeff. I, I I've just just getting back right now from this travel. Uh, it is, it is profound the impact that his story and along with Ryan Warden's story, that their story on End the Line podcast had on the hunting community. And I didn't know some of these guys I met hunting with, uh, uh until just a week ago or whatever, you know, till I met them. And, and, uh, it, it's really amazing uh, the, <clears throat> the narrative or the, or the, the, the way of thinking the mindset that they've created. Um, uh, I just wanted to meet Jeff. I, I appreciated his story. Um, I'm also going to meet with my old friend and, um, I'll call him a mentor of sorts cause he, he's had a lot of, a lot of influence in my life, but, but he's also a very close personal friend, Mr. Terry Demon. Um, I'm going to hit it from a different direction. I know, I know that, that spinning wing decoys are controversial, but I, I think it's a very good story. And and I think he's a very, very good person. And, um, so he and I are going to talk. Now I've always wanted to meet with him like this on the record. And, um, uh, and then I've, then I've got phone note, note to my phone full of people, a, a biologist, uh, I'm going to meet with a. There's a group down in Southwest Louisiana, and we were going back and forth. Somebody contacted me via social media direct inbox, and to make an introduction to a biologist down there. And I finally asked the guy,
0: "Who
2: are you? What What are you? At? What, I don't understand where are you come from with all this." And he's a, he's a concerned concerned citizen. Concerned about the future of waterfowl hunting in Southwest Louisiana, and he and some other men are, you know, where the Louisiana Department of Wildlife Fish and Parks budgets stops. They're picking up the slack on some very, very uh, ground cutting, ground breaking, some very interesting white fronted goose research, and I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting with this biologist about that. Uh, there, there, there are things afoot, you know, that that makes you wonder. And and already not having met with this guy, a lot of my understanding of it, I believe to be an error now. Uh, maybe I misunderstood some facts. And 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 I think he can shed a lot of light on it. And then I've got, I've got, um, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to tip my hand too far out, but I've, I've got some, I've, I've got some other important, uh, I've got some other meetings with other hunters. With uh, government officials, both sides of the border, with um, biologists uh, that, are, that are subject experts, uh, you know that conversation I had with Corey Loeffler about moat migrators and about that that Rochester, Minnesota population of geese. I've got I got some questions to me after that interview. That I realized there was a little more. Digging to do, and a little more. uh There's a whole another whole another chapter of that story that we didn't cover because there were questions left afterwards, and I'd like to address them. You know, what did hunters have to do with specifically? What did hunters have to do with it? And specifically, who and how did they take those birds and make what we have now in the northern tier for big Canada's? So there, there are just some other things I'm chasing down. I've got a uh I I've got probably one of the foremost wild game chefs. Um very, very knowledgeable, very, very well written, got some very, very good books. Uh he's agreed to meet with me and and I'd like to maybe even fly out there to California and meet with him so I can sample some of his food. You know, we we've talked in the past about how so many people now, what do you do with all these Canada geese? So many people make meat sticks and jerky, which is great, but come on, there's got to be more to do to it than that, you know? And, and, and without 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 being a French chef and having a, a, a sous chef at your side helping you cook a five-hour meal, there's got to be better ways, you know, to prepare these birds. And um, I know he has shared some stuff with me over the years that made me look and think about cooking duck in a whole new light. So we're just kind of all over the board with this duck hunting, and and you know it'll be. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to have a couple of recordings out in uh, out in Utah next month. I've got I've got a recording with an outfitter in Ontario next month, um, and so we'll just see where it goes. I, I've got I've got I've got a list full of stuff.
0: Well, a lot of excitement around this of episodic series with you i I, i'm telling you the feedback that i'm getting is is unreal and i knew that if you ever decided to do it man it was going to be big and it it is becoming big really fast because i I just know the conversation that you are (laughs) and the way that you look at life from a relationship standpoint whenever you look at life as, as build relationship with others You can really go in depth with what you're talking about. If you live a life that Mm -hmm. you kind of bounce people off of you, then you're never really going to go in depth with anybody. So, anyway.
2: Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. You know, some of the comments I've gotten that they feel like they are sitting at the table with us. Again, I would just say, don't just sit at the table, chime in. You know, reach out to me. Shoot shoot me a text. Shoot me a call. I mean, be a part of the conversation. And and, we're all duck hunters. And we're all in this thing together, you know? So, hey, thank y'all for listening. But, hey, uh, I want to hear from you, too. Come join the conversation. Let's talk, you know? So, anyway, thank y'all, Rocky. I appreciate the opportunity, and I appreciate everybody for listening.
0: Ramsey, thank you again for for doing this and being part of the End of line podcast. I want to thank all of you that listen to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, Powered by